0: Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson deals with 36 commonly asked questions by your LDS friends and neighbors. It's a great resource for Christians who want to share their faith with friends and loved ones. Be sure to pick up your copy today at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Thank you, Brian
1: Maine, for that introduction, and welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We are wrapping up our discussion of a talk given to young adults by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy, a talk he gave on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University titled, What is the Blueprint of Christ Church? I can't help but go back and think of what a bad case he really made for his church because how many times have we found him taking verses out of context and how many times have we found him fudging on what the new testament is really teaching
2: and i'm going to suggest to you every single point that he has made has made a bad case because it is faulty interpretation. He's reading his own ideas into what the text is saying and that's not what the text says.
1: But then he goes on to make this statement of bravado about matching the blueprint of Christ's original church. What does he say there?
2: And this goes along again with the 17 points of the true church we've been talking all along in this series that there was a document made many years ago that had these 17 points. And so even though he doesn't mention the 17 points in his talk, he certainly uses most of those points. And so this would be 17 points of the true church number 15. The true church must be a restored church. And by the way, you can find this and all of the podcasts for this three-week series at mrm.org blueprint church. This is what Callister said. If one were to match the blueprint of Christ's original church against every church in the world today, he would find that point for point, organization for organization, teaching for teaching, ordinance for ordinance, fruit for fruit, and revelation for revelation, it will only match one, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
1: But is that really what we found? When we go through his talk, we find that he oftentimes misses it. Big time. I mean, the way that he takes verses out of context and the way he ignores the New Testament blueprint is just amazing. And then to come up with this kind of a conclusion, point for point, organization for organization, teaching for teaching, ordinance for ordinance. You've got to be kidding me, because he really didn't make that good of a case. Maybe in his own mind he thinks he did, but certainly it's not that convincing.
2: And only for those who would believe the way he does and would just accept at face value what he is saying. And then he goes on and says, if one rejects this church after studying the blueprint, then it will likely ruin him for any other church because he knows too much. He will be like Peter who was asked by the Savior, will ye also go away? From John six sixty seven. Peter responded with an answer that should be engraved in every heart and enshrined in every home. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That's from John 6, 68.
1: I I found it almost ironic with the language that he uses when he says, if one rejects the church after studying the blueprint, then it will likely ruin him for any other church because he knows too much. What is the one thing we hear from many Latter-day Saints after they've left the church? they found out too much about the Mormon Church. When they really looked into its history, when they really looked into its doctrines, they found something ugly. It wasn't very pleasant. And because they knew too much, they could not, in good conscience, remain faithful to the structure of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
2: And I had to laugh when he cites from John six sixty seven, to whom shall we go? Well, for many of the Latter-day Saints that have left the church whom we know, Bill, they've gone to Jesus. They haven't gone to any organization, but when they found Jesus, they found true freedom.
1: And how many have we heard who have come out of the Mormon church say that they have never had the relationship they have with Jesus Christ that they have right now? How many have we heard testify that they have gone to a a Christian service and wept because of the love of God that they feel? And again, I'm not against feelings. I'm only against feelings when they cross the boundary of Scripture. But they have gone to Christian churches and literally wept feeling the presence of Christ there. Something that they were told they should never feel in any other church but the Mormon church. I think Callister is taking much too much license and making some of these claims because many ex-Mormons have found a good home outside of the Mormon church.
2: And that's a big goal of what we do here at MRM. I think a lot of people think all we want to do is what they call bash against Mormons. We're not bashing against Mormons. We're to instruct what Mormonism teaches and hope that the Latter-day Saint can see the truth. But we really want them to come to the Lord. We want them to, to abandon the false teachings of Mormonism and head toward the truth, which we believe is found in the Bible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he goes on and says this, One cannot have the doctrines and ordinances as restored through the prophet Joseph Smith without accepting Joseph Smith and the underlying history that is the basis for such. They are inseparable. They go hand in hand. You cannot call the fruit good and then call the tree bad. The Savior taught that truth long ago. Quote, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit, end quote. That's from Matthew 7.18.
1: Now, this isn't the first time he brings up this passage. Last time he was emphasizing Matthew 7.20, but he misses it again. It's not talking about a church. It's talking about false prophets, and I, I had to chuckle when I saw him use this, And in the same paragraph where he mentions Joseph Smith by name, because really Matthew 7.18, Matthew 7.20, I think is referring to Joseph Smith as a false prophet. He's given you the directions on how you can determine whether or not a man claiming to be a prophet of God is either true or false. And believe me, folks, in the Bible, there are instructions in the Bible how we can discern this. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. How can you know if a man who claims to be a prophet is a true prophet? One of the tests was he's going to teach a true understanding of God. Who is the God of Joseph Smith? A glorified, perfected human being that became God at some point in time? A God who has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's? Where in the world do we see that blueprint in the Bible?
2: The idea that Joseph Smith being a false prophet, as we would say, as you study this out, you'll see those kinds of teachings. You say, where does it come from? It certainly doesn't come from the Bible. Callister says in general conference addresses some years ago, Elder B.H. Roberts would speak of the accomplishments of Joseph Smith. And then, as if speaking to Joseph's critics, he would say, match it. Match it, I say, or with hand on lips remain silent when his name is spoken. Bill, you and I don't remain silent when we mention the name of Joseph Smith.
1: Absolutely not. In fact, I don't have any respect whatsoever for Joseph Smith. I do think he, he met the qualifications of a false prophet, because again, not only was a one of the qualifications for a false prophet being a man who claims to teach about a God who is not the God of the Bible, but also makes predictions that don't come to pass. And when we go look at some of the things that Joseph Smith taught, for instance, Jesus coming back 56 years from the time he gives a particular prophecy, those things didn't happen. The saints going back to Missouri, it didn't happen. He gave a lot of false prophecies which would disqualify him for being a true prophet of God.
2: And look at the reasons why so many Latter-day Saints in these past few years have been leaving the church. I'm talking about, for instance, how the Book of Mormon was constructed using a seer stone and a hat that has been confirmed by the Gospel Topics essays, which we have covered. Also, the Book of Abraham, how he did not know hieroglyphics that were found on a common funeral papyri.
1: In fact, how they have to redefine what even a translation is when it comes to the Book of Mormon and the Book of Abraham.
2: And even the personal history of Joseph Smith as far as, for instance, his marriages, as the LDS Church has admitted, married to 30 to 40 women, and a third of those were teenagers, another third were married to other men's wives?
1: Well, let me bring that point out, the fact that Joseph Smith practiced polyandry. Mr. Callister, is that a blueprint in Christ church to marry married women? Where do you find that blueprint in the Bible?
2: See, I think Joseph Smith is a liability to the LDS church, especially right now, because so much has come out. And I think, again, the number one reason people are leaving the church is based on Joseph Smith. And the church has said, you either have to take him or reject him. And so when they reject Joseph Smith, they end up having to leave the church. Unfortunately, many Latter-day Saints are leaving for atheism or agnosticism. And again, what I said earlier is true. We don't want to see that. We want them to understand that the Bible can still be true. There still can be a God who loves us and Jesus who died for our sins. But unfortunately, many Latter-day Saints reject everything, throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
1: Throughout this series, Eric, you kept making a comparison to 17 points of the true church, which in and of itself has a dubious background. But still, I think you're right. Callister does follow very closely the pattern of that alleged proof for the Mormon church. But you also mentioned something to me off-air, that Callister failed to bring up one of the points that is found in the 17 points.
2: And before I started reading the whole paper and studying this, I predicted that he would use all or at least most of those points. But there was one I did not find any mention of of all, and it's number six of the 17 points of the true church. This is what point six says. The true church must have no paid ministry. First Corinthians chapter 9, Acts 20 and John 10. Callister, never refers to this. Why do you think, Bill?
1: I think the reason he never refers to it, because technically the Mormon Church does have a paid ministry, maybe not on a lower level, such as with bishops and stake presidents. But there's no way that all the men that are employed full-time downtown are living off of retirement income or, or savings that they have squirreled away over their, in some cases, their very short life. They are receiving compensation. The deception, I think, is in how Mormons describe that. They call it volunteer service. And of course, many Latter-day Saints, not wishing to look into this any deeper, are going to assume that they don't receive any compensation for the many hours that they put into the church. I think Callister probably knows better, being a full-time employee of the church, I think Thomas Monson knows better. I'm sure all the apostles in the Mormon Church know better. Certainly the mission presidents know better, even though they also claim it's merely volunteer service, but they are being compensated.
2: Let me give you one other possibility. I think over the past few years especially, the LDS Church has become more politically correct and they don't want to needlessly offend although if you read this paper if you read this if you read this talk that has been given by Callister there are many things which we as christians can take offensively and uh, and not like but i'm thinking of in 1990 when the church modified the temple ceremony where lucifer told the christian pastor in the melodrama that he would pay him well they took that part out i think partly because that word had gotten out and was offending a lot of christians and it was making mormons upset And so they just ended up taking out the temple ceremony. I don't remember the church voting on that or having any kind of revelation to do something that the temple ceremony I thought was supposed to always be. But they did modify that, I think, to pacify uh, Christians who may have heard about that.
1: Well, here's my conclusion on this. When Callister asked at the very beginning, what is the blueprint of Christ's church? I would have to say it certainly is not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.